0: Welcome to Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like any more information about us please visit our website gracelife.com.au If you will grab your seats and pull your Bibles out straight away, let's do this and uh, get your Bibles and and you want to open up in the middle and you want to turn left in the Old Testament, we want to go to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, going to be reading from the English Standard Version today, which we all know that's the version that Jesus used. That was a joke, you may laugh if you feel that, 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, if you haven't uh, got your Bible, just turn to the Christian next to you and look at their Bible, look at their Bible. <laughs> I'm being naughty, or we should have it up on the screens. 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, before we start in chapter 18, I want to paint the picture. Um, Israel is in a bit of trouble. And they are in a world of hurt because there are leaders, a king and a queen who are evil, they're wicked. The king is called Ahab, he is arguably the worst king in the history of Israel as a nation and uh, his wife is Jezebel, and boy, is she a tough one to handle. Ahab and Jezebel have, um, with God's people, convinced the nation to mix in Baal worship into the worship of God. And... uh, Baal was the god of fertility and of weather and the nation of Israel w- was having mixture in their hearts because they were turning away from God and they were turning to a false god, uh, a god with a little g, not the real god, a false god and um, in chapter 17 and verse 1, a-, a prophet named Elijah comes forward and this is what he says, in cha- do you have chapter 17 up there? I'll read it for you. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So the prophet Elijah gives a prophetic word um, that there is not going to be any rain in the land. And we know that a famine then, comes into the land. And this is actually the judgment of God. God, God said that this would happen, that if, if his people turned away from him, there will be these sorts of things that took place. So this is a result of the sin of the nation. And um, it says in chapter 18 and verse 1, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So in between those two moments, throughout the whole of chapter 17, Elijah gives the word to the king. The king doesn't like it. Because a prophetic word is given from Elijah to Ahab that there'll be no rain in the land. And remember, who's the God of the weather? According to Right, to the Israelites, they have given over to Baal. Now, Baal's responsible to, to, to look after the people and give them good weather. But a prophetic word is given that that's not going to happen. In fact, this was a result of judgment. And also interesting point is that the Lord loved his people and he allowed this to happen. This whole story happens because he loves his people. He's trying to bring them back to repentance. Side note there that God often does allow us to go through hardship to bring us to repentance. Because He loves you. He is after restoration. He is all for redemption. And that's what this story is about. We're going to read a great story where um, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. You're going to read that in just a second. But the story is not around Elijah. The story is not just about fire from heaven. The hero of this story is God. God is the hero of this story, and we must remember that. So what happens is, after in chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah gives this prophetic word. Ahab does not like it, and he runs. He flees for his life. God, though, does not flee Elijah. We see Elijah encounter the goodness, the mercy, the faithfulness of God. We read through chapter 17 that, that God caused ravens to bring him food while he was on the run, while he was fleeing for his life from Ahab. We also see that um, there is a widow who takes care of Elijah. We also see that the widow's son at the end of chapter 17 is brought back to life through Elijah. So Elijah sees firsthand the goodness of God, though he is on the run. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel as though you're on the run. Maybe you feel like you're on a run because you've done the right thing. Maybe you feel like you're on the run because it's your own fault. Don't discount the goodness and the faithfulness of God in the midst of every single season. So, God gives him a word in chapter 18 and verse 1, that the rain is coming. After a few years, he encounters a man named Obadiah, who oversees the palace. Obadiah, who was a good man, who loved God, who served God, was loyal to God. Um, Encounters Elijah and uh, Elijah says to him, I want to see Ahab. Obadiah says, oh, I, I, I can't go and tell him that because if I go tell him that and you disappear then I'll I'll be killed because there is uh, 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 there's a bounty on your head, he wants you dead. Elijah says to Abedon, no, 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 I, I, I'll, I'll stand up to it, I, I need to talk with him, I've got a word for him. So, we fast forward to um, verse 17 of First Kings chapter 18, it says this, when Ahab saw Elijah, this is King Ahab, he said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says... I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel, at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Imagine that for a moment. Ahab is on the run knowing that um, uh, Ahab excuse me, Elijah's on the run, knowing that Ahab's trying to kill him. He stands up to the king. He stands up to him. He has a conviction based on a revelation. If you want to have a strong conviction, you've got to have a great revelation. Have you had a good revelation of the beauty of Jesus and the reality of Jesus? Is it firsthand? Do you know that you know that you know that that he's real and that he's good? Or is it a secondhand revelation? Secondhand revelation is great, but it it pales into insignificance when it comes to first-hand revelation. I grew up, when I was a kid, on second-hand revelation from my parents. I could see that they knew that they knew that, they knew, that God was good and that, that He loved them. I, I, I knew it through an intermediary, so to speak. But I tell you what, when God got hold of me, I knew. I knew. I had a revelation and that strongly shaped my conviction here is a call for you to have a revelation of the true and living God for yourself. Not through me, not through a parent, not through a child, not through another leader, not through, not just through a testimony of someone else that you know that you know that you know that he's good. See, Elijah had this revelation. He had a strong conviction. But here we saw um, hostile opposition in relation to that conviction. If you take taking notes, you can write this down, that um, opposition is an invitation for the proving of conviction. Opposition is an invitation for the proving of conviction. When when opposition comes you will be tested and this is an opportunity for your conviction to be strengthened. Have you ever made, ever made a stand for Jesus and you've noticed all of a sudden that people don't like you quite the same anymore? It's an opportunity for you to stand up or to fall. And this is what happened with Elijah. He stood up to the king and the king said, is it you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> now, what did Elijah do at this point, oh I'm sorry I'm so sorry great king I'm so sorry oh, oh, let, me, let me just reframe what I said a little while ago, I'm so sorry can I kiss your feet, can I please do something nice for you, no he didn't do that, he didn't cower, he didn't, he didn't weaken at the knees, he didn't fall over, what did he do? He stood strong I haven't troubled Israel but you have, can you imagine the king hearing this you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. You've done this. How dare you say that I'm the troubler? You are responsible here. I remember when I was at university and God really got a hold of me. And um, I, I came to a decision I came to a point in my life where I made a decision that, that, that I was going to stand for God and not be like a light switch on and off. And when God got a hold of me, I just, it was like a, God put a spiritual rod in my back. And I, I couldn't help but tell people about Jesus. I was talking to anyone and everyone that would listen. Did I make some mistakes? Oh, yeah, my goodness, I made some mistakes. Was my theology perfect? Absolutely not. But I tell you what, the passion was oozing from me. I would talk to my friends, my colleagues, some some tutors, lecturers. I couldn't help. And this is what I found, that the more of a bold stand I took, the greater the opposition became. And the greater the opposition that came, I was presented with the opportunity to either stand or fall. Friends, I'm here to tell you that the bolder your stance is for Jesus, the greater the opposition is likely to come. Now, we can run or we can stand. The Bible says stand stand. Here is a commendation, brothers and sisters, may we stand in these last days. Let's always see that any opposition is a beautiful invitation for the proving of conviction. See, God uh, loved these people so much and He knew though, that there was conflict in their hearts because they had served two gods and and for the nation you you need to know this God does not like to play second fiddle do you know that God doesn't like to be second best he doesn't want to be the second option third option last option when when everything else doesn't work and we've tried everything else oh, oh I guess I'm I guess I can give God a go God doesn't want that particularly for his children he wants us to serve him and him alone in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says himself, you, you can't serve two masters. And that's what's happening here with the nation. They're serving other gods. And really, there is a throne in their hearts. And they, 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 they did have God sit on the throne. But they, they've, they've, they've put in another god. Or two. Or three. They've put other little g gods in their heart. But there's only one throne. And the Lord is saying... Serve me and only me. Our God stands far above and beyond all other gods. In March of this year, I don't know if you've uh, uh, read much into this. In March of this year, they commissioned, actually, the Abrahamic family house in Abu Dhabi. Have you seen this? Can we show the photos, please? In Abu Dhabi, they have um, three houses of worship. They have a synagogue for the Jews, they have a mosque for the Muslims, and they have a church for the Christians, all in one centre, together right there. That was March 1st of this year, they're opened. I understand the thinking that what they're trying to do is see peace and prosperity amongst all the religions, but do you think that my God wants a shared platform with other gods? That's a load of absolute nonsense. This is what the Pope and the Sheik, Ahmed El-Tayyib, signed with a document together. This is what they actually agreed to. They said that the pluralism and the diversity of religions are willed by God. Does God want us to worship other gods? No. We are living in a day and an age where the world is going to hell in a handbasket And the more that we compromise on the God or the gods in which we serve, the weaker we become and we miss God in the process. He stands alone. He stands above all of that. This is one of the reasons why I or my family we don't entertain Halloween. I I I don't get involved with that nonsense. I understand people's thinking, even certain Christians, to say, well, Halloween is Hallow's Eve. It's a celebration of the saints, the, the, the Christians that have died. Well, no, for me, as far as I know right now, I don't care how it started or what the reasoning or the rationale is, but all I know now is when I go to Kmart and Big W and I go to Target, they're celebrating ghouls and ghosts and demons and they're encouraging current kids to wear horns. We don't play ball with that because... Why would I? Why would anything, why would lightness light have anything to do with darkness? So for me and my kids, no, you're not getting our chalkies. My kids have eaten them all already. You can chuck your eggs on my house. My security camera will pick you up and I will I will hunt you down to Chinatown. (laughs) I said I'm not gonna mix my heart. I'm not gonna join in with what the world does. I'm not going to do it. Even if there's a grey area, I don't want to be there. I found myself in times of my life erring on these different shades, 50 shades of grey. God doesn't work in grey. He wants all of you And He wants all of you to want all of Him. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want to share you with anybody. He wants all of you. And He wants you back. So what opportunities are you faced with? What oppositions are you faced with? May God's church not uh, live in mediocrity go to the Malaga market sometimes and I see invitations for tarot cards and palm reading. Why would I do that? Why would I get involved with all that nonsense? The Bible's clear. Deuteronomy 18 talks about divination. The Bible says don't get involved with astrology. Don't get involved with soothsaying. Why would I do that? Now for some of us, that's a bit of harmless fun. Put it behind you and go to God. I have firsthand seen people that as when they start mucking around with the Ouija boards, their lives go downhill real quick because they open the door for the demonic. You know, God still loves you. Can we move on? We still friends? Verse 20, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, <laughs> this is his sermon, okay, this is Elijah's sermon. Imagine, he's got. they're all there, they're all sitting there, standing there, ready. And then Elijah then, is, he preaches this, this loving, be a better you, sermon. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. That's his little sermon. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Amen or ouch? I wonder if the Lord sometimes says that to us. How long are you going to second guess me? How long are you going to sway between these Two differing opinions. I'm good, I'm not good. I'm faithful, I'm not faithful. I'm real, I'm made up. The Bible is true, it's full of errors and and, and, and it's optional. I wonder if God says that to us sometimes. What's He saying? Get off the fence! Don't sit on the fence! Have you ever straddled a fence before? Have you ever sat on a fence? It ain't too comfortable. (laughs) When I was a kid, to cut a long story short, I hurt myself (laughs) sitting on a fence. Fences were not made for sitting on. They're not meant for standing on. They're meant for keeping out, for protecting, for dividing. And God is saying to His people... Get off the fence. How long are you going to try and stand on that thing? How long are you going to have one hand and one hand? Get off the fence. Don't differ between opinions. I'm real. I'm good. Trust me. My kids, especially my youngest one, loves to climb fences. And when she gets on the fence, she doesn't anymore because I've given it to her, (laughs) I get so nervous. As a loving parent, I'm like, get, you're going to hurt yourself. I wonder if that's how God sometimes feels with us. Get off. You're going to hurt yourself. But then it says this, after that little sermon, which lasted a whole 20 seconds, it says, the people did not answer Him a word. I find that really interesting. So, he asked the question, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him, but if Baal, then follow Him. And the people didn't say a word. Why didn't they say anything? Why did they not refute it? Why did they not object? Why did they not even agree? Why? Because they had a compromised heart and a compromised heart will always render your voice ineffective. A compromised heart will render your voice ineffective. I wonder if this is why sometimes God's church or God's people are silent on matters. Because we've compromised. We've become too much like the world, we've let it creep into our lives and into our hearts. Second Corinthians 6, for example, says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And yet, we, we look for anyone and everyone to marry, or whether they're Christian or not, it doesn't matter, I'll just marry an unbeliever and then we wonder why we have troubles raising our kids, when there are different perspectives there's drug and alcohol abuse, we muck around, we think, oh it's okay, God is grace, God is good and it's okay, my heart is indifferent toward that, I'll live as I want to live, I'm still a Christian but it'll be okay, it's all covered by the blood baby but we're really, we're serving two different gods there. I'm not saying that we're caught with, that we're going to be perfect, nobody is perfect but it's our posture towards sin, that's what God cares about. No one's perfect, we all err from time to time We all make mistakes from time to time. But if my heart is indifferent towards sin, it is is symptomatic of what's going on inside my heart. So as God leads me to a point of repentance, my heart must say, Lord, help me. I'm sorry. I love you too much. I love you more than I love the sin. I love you more, my God, with a big G, than this little G that's grabbing my heart at the moment. Lord, help me. Help me not live in compromise. And how is it that we are living in compromise? Perhaps it's not just sin. Maybe it's with Satan. Maybe it's with Scripture. That's how often we compromise. We we compromise... With satan sometimes without knowing it we we dance with the devil because he tempts us he speaks to us he lures us and we just muck around and we think oh that's okay or even with scripture oh it's just it's just a commentary the bible's optional it was written so long ago surely not everything in here is true i I, i'll just believe and agree the pits the bits that are convenient for me (laughs) i need the whole counsel of god i don't know about you As soon as I've given Him my life, I've given Him every part of my life and He helps me work that out. This thing is not just encouraging but it is challenging when I read it. When I read it, it's either an amen or an ouch a lot of the time and that's the Holy Spirit at work. Lord, help me not to compromise on Your Word, help me to get off the fence. Are you on the fence this morning? In Psalm 119, it says, joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey His laws and search for Him with part of their hearts, with all of their hearts. They do not compromise with evil. And they walk only in his paths. No compromise, no compromise. In um, Revelation, let me turn to Revelation 3. Many of us will know this, but I want to read it again. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus speaks... To a church this is a group of christians it's like people like me and you it's what what jesus says i know your works you were neither cold nor hot would that you were either cold or hot so because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold i will spit you out of my mouth jesus that's a little bit harsh You're telling me you'd prefer me to be hot or cold, otherwise you'll vomit me out? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. This morning when I came in, uh, I have a new best friend because he offered me a cup of coffee. (laughs) Jason Clark offered me a cup of coffee. And I said, first thing I said to him, I said, he says, how would you like a coffee? I said, Yes, thank you. I said. He goes, how would you like it? And I'm thinking, it'll just be a coffee from the kitchen here. So what do you mean, how would you like it? He goes, no, I'm going to buy you one. I said, oh. Now, I'm a coffee snob, so. I'm thinking, oh, okay. Well, just make it flat white, please. He goes, would you like any sugar? I said, no, thank you. But please make it extra hot. See, as a coffee snob, I will have iced coffee or I'll have very hot coffee. If it's it got it was so big that I couldn't drink it all. It, it's about it's up to here now, but it's lukewarm now. So what should I do? <laughs> That'll be a sight to see. <laughs> I hate lukewarm coffee. Once it gets that, I'm not like Pastor Scott Jones. He'll drink coffee. He'll drink coffee that are two days old leftover sitting in the cup. That I can tell you. You should see the French fries he eats after about four hours in his office. I'm not even joking. So the Lord Jesus says, hot or cold? If it's lukewarm, I want nothing to do with you. See, in the region... Jesus speaks to these group of Christians and they know the difference between hot and cold because there would be a cold spring coming from one region and a hot spring coming from another in Hierapolis to the north and there was Colossae lukewarm was no good and what Jesus is saying here is, I'm not into lukewarm. Oh, but look at all the works we did. Jesus says, I know your works. Verse 17, you say I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched. Watch this, this is pretty harsh. Imagine Jesus saying this to you and me directly, because in a way he is. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, because you ain't rich, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, because you weren't clothed, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Get off the fence. Don't compromise. Repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and I open the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, with all of this, I love you enough to be direct with you. I'm standing here and I'm knocking on the door. Let me in. Let me in. I want to be with you. I want to eat with you. I want to live with you. I want to dwell with you. Is that an invitation for you this morning? We then go on to see that um, Elijah puts a call out and he says all right we're going to we we we're going to do something here uh, we're going to have all the prophets of baal on one side and you're going to get you're going to get a bull put on an altar and you're going to call down fire from heaven and i'm going to do the same If the fire comes down from heaven when you call on your God, then we serve your God, but if the fire comes down from heaven when I pray, then the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is the real God. Watch this, it says, verse 26, they took the bull that was given them, they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, These are the false prophets. O Baal, answer us! But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. This is one of my favourite parts. So Elijah's having a crack. Elijah says to these guys, cry aloud for he's a God. Either he's musing or he is relieving himself, as in he's on the toilet. He's doing doing a doo-doo in the toilet, he's doing wee-wee's. Imagine imagine hearing that. <laughs> or is he on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened? They cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances and the blood gushed out upon them and as midday passed they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation but there was no voice no one answered no one paid attention. Can you imagine the boldness of this man? Oldness. Verse 33 Then Elijah put the wood in order and he cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars with water, pour on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, Do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. So, so there's plenty of water. There, there, is, there can be no mistake. There's no tricks. The false God did nothing. But then he's like, Let's see what's going on here and watch. The man's prayer. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. So we're seeing here that this is an act of obedience. This isn't Elijah just trying to show off, it's at the word of the Lord. It's at the direction of the Lord. It's not just confidence, it's obedience that Elijah has. And he's praying to God, he's, I've done all of this at your word. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are our God and that you have turned their hearts back. Again, evidence of the restorative heart of God for his people. This was all about a call, a yearn for God's people to come back to him. So Elijah petitions God. He says, Lord, at your word, let it be so. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is good. The Lord, he is God. (laughs) Verse 40, and this is nasty. And Elijah said to them, seize those prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. They were given the same justice that they were demanding for God's prophets. And as a side note there, God God does not deal too kindly with with false prophets and false teachers. See, bold faith honours God and God honours bold faith. Bold faith honours God. That's what Elijah was doing, but God honours bold faith. And it was only because of Elijah's bold faith here, which didn't make sense. Faith usually doesn't make sense. Obeying God often doesn't make sense. His boldness led to Israel's response to the people of Israel. What if your family's repentance is just on the other side of your boldness? Or at TAFE, or at school, what if their repentance is just on the other side of, a, of an act of boldness on your part? To trust God, to call out to God. Because uh, God is always honoured when we step up in Him and when we take the risk. In Him. If you you don't take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. If you want the miracle, you've got to step forward and risk. If you want the biscuit, you've got to risk it. (laughs) I like my biscuits. But what's God saying to you? Where is He calling for you to stand? How is He calling for you to pray? Bold prayers are so incredibly important. We've got to remember when we pray, we come before the creator of the universe with boldness. Knowing that God is good. So why not just ask Him? I once uh, read a quote that said this, 100% of the prayers... That we don't pray, don't get answered. <laughs> we don't ask, we won't get. Where is God calling for you to stand in bold faith? Spurgeon says, with, with how Elijah prayed right here, Charles Spurgeon says, this is a good um, directive for us when we pray, this is what he says... Go you to the mercy seat with this as one of your arguments. Lord, I've done according to thy word or your word. Now let it be seen that it is even so. I have preached thy word or your word and you have said it shall not return unto me void. I have prayed for these people and you have said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Let it be seen that this is according to Your word. So when we come before God, we pray in alignment to His word and His direction, and in that place we have confidence. So when we pray, we don't just pray for victory, we pray from victory, a place of victory. And that's not a victory in and of ourselves, that's in Jesus, that's in the cross, the finished work of the cross. Knowing who He is and what He's already accomplished, we then stand in confidence. Check out, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Boldly come. Boldly come. Have bold faith. No matter what it looks like around you, it doesn't matter who the person is you're faced with. It doesn't matter what the situation. It doesn't matter what the circumstance. Know your God, He is with you. I want to finish this morning with some bold prayers. Can we do that? We're going to wait on the Lord for just a few moments. And if the Lord already hasn't, we're going to say, Lord, two things. First thing, where have I compromised? Is there a compromise in my heart? Would you lead me to a place where that conflict, that compromise goes out the door? I pledge my allegiance to you, Lord. That's the first thing. the second thing is, Lord, I want to boldly stand for you and I boldly pray for X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. Can we do that together? Can we stand up to our feet just as we finish? Let's pray those two things. The first thing, is a conflicted or a compromised heart. Every single one of us will have wrestled with this at some point or other in our lives. And there is never condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But if we find ourselves in that place of a compromised heart, we just bring it before the throne room of grace. And we let Him lead us on. So we pray in that respect. And then we're going to pray to stand... Lord. We stand in bold faith for that lost one, for that loved one. We stand in bold faith for that healing, for that deliverance. We stand in bold faith for that breakthrough, for that promise to prevail. Lord, we trust you. Are you ready to pray together? Father, we come to you in the only name that matters. We come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us. And we ask, Lord... Would you show us where we may be sitting on the fence? Where you call for us to come down and get off that fence, Lord? Where is there? Where are we fence-sitting? Where is there compromise in relationships, with our habits, with our values, with our beliefs, Would you lead us to repentance? And give forgiveness. We thank you. We thank you that we have it. Because of your goodness, not ours. Your faithfulness, not ours. It's you, not us. And Lord, we just, in this moment space in our hearts to stand in faith bold faith it doesn't make sense it doesn't add up it doesn't compute but Lord it's at your word it's at your direction We stand in you and with you. Lord, remind us, show us, reveal to us things you call for us to stand for boldly in faith. In prayer right now, we, in our hearts, we speak to the mountains. Lord, we call down fire from heaven, so to speak. With God, we know all things are possible. All things are possible to them that believe. Right now, we reaffirm our faith, our trust, our dependence, our reliance on you. For that situation at work, we bring to you. For that situation at home, we bring to you. For that situation with our bank or our finance, we bring to you. For that situation with our own internal emotions, feelings, desires, addictions, Values, Lord, we conflict it at times, but we bring it to you and we say we stand in and with you. Lord, I pray for dreams to come upon your people afresh now, faith-filled dreams faith filled dreams that come from above not from man, it's not from a movie it's not from a a story that we've read it comes directly from the throne room of God Lord that would provoke and uh, instill great faith within us teach us Lord when we are lacking faith to live in the faith of Christ the one who believes Lord let us rest in your faith which is complete and lacking nothing. Father, for this church community, just as we finish, Lord, would you teach us to become mature and grown up, Lord? For those of us that are new in the faith, those that are far from you, we feel, even for those of us that feel like we're well-developed, would we all just grow up in Christ? And in these days, in these hours, teach us to stand strong in you and in your strength and in the power of your might. For you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control, of a sound mind. It's in you we thank you for. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.